Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God this morning? This is a great day, Palm Sunday. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making a day that we can be glad in and rejoice in. We can be free from the from from condemnation we can be free from our sins lord thank you for the freedom and we pray lord that as we open your word this morning we would see you lord and we would and your word would work in us and bring us into a greater freedom in christ in jesus name amen now if you turn in your bibles please to luke chapter 23 luke 23 and verse 32, it's going to be our text this morning here, Luke 23 and verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, where they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto him, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Well, it's a great day because in a sense, all year long we've been looking at the cross. We look at the cross every Sunday here. We follow the command of the Lord where he told us to take the bread, take the cup, remember him. And each time we do that, we try to try to make that time fresh every time. Not routine because he said, do it in remembrance of me. I mean, we can handle the this do part. That's not hard, just taking the bread and, and drinking the cup. But it's that in remembrance of me part that's harder because that requires us to harness our mind and bring it into this state of remembering the cross. So every communion service, we've tried to bring ourselves to remember the Lord on the cross. And in a sense, 
all those times of breaking bread to remember the Lord, it's been leading up to like a dramatic crescendo to one day. And that day is just five days from today. In just five days, that's going to be Good Friday with the day that we set apart to remember the crucifixion. And it's such a momentous event that we don't want to just let that day roll around and say, oh, yeah, you know what? Today's Good Friday. I forgot. Oh, maybe I should try to fit in some schedule. I wonder where there's some schedule. Well, if you're looking for one, Creation Museum's got to have one. But Good Friday is such a blessing because it's the day. It's the one day of the year that's set apart to remember the cross. Good Friday is a time for us to just pause, just stop in our lives. And really, this whole week, starting now with Palm Sunday, like today, it's a, it's a whole week for us to just pause in our lives and start to think about Friday and stay with us the thoughts for Friday. And so what we want to do, what we want to do this week and start now is to get some thoughts to meditate on for the whole week as we lead up to Good Friday. It'd be good for us to, this week, to take the four Gospels and the account of the crucifixion and just read one every day, just to get that into our minds. And what I'm gonna try to do this morning is I'm gonna try and set within, with my, within my mind, within your minds, within our minds, certain thoughts to meditate on for the whole week as we approach Friday, Good Friday. That wouldn't it be great if this Friday comes and we say, that was the best Good Friday I've ever had in my life. So I want to plant seeds, plant seeds of thoughts in our minds that'll just be under the surface and germinating and so that we can come to Good Friday and just appreciate all that happened when he was crucified. It's a very underestimated holiday, Good Friday. But if there wasn't a Good Friday, there wouldn't be an Easter. And so the thoughts that I want to set in our minds this, or this week are all centered around a theme of the assurance at the cross. Uh, not the assurance of the cross, but the assurance at the cross. There was a certain assurance that happened at the cross, and it was for this one repenting sinner, this one obedient sinner, this one responding sinner that asked the Lord Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The assurance at the cross was the response that the Lord Jesus gave to that request, which is in verse 43, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a miracle took place at the cross for that one thief who repented and he received this assurance at the cross, as he heard these words, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. See, when that thief heard those words, he could just sing the song. He could say something like, you know, I was a sinner, all covered with shame, lost and defiled, no, with no merit to claim. Somehow, God loved me in spite of my sin, saved me, redeemed me, and cleansed me within God did a wonderful miracle one glorious day. God did a wonderful miracle for me when he took all my sin away. See, he could sing that song. He could sing that song. This response of the Lord Jesus to this thief is the second word from the cross. And it was really a, such a simple request. And it was such a simple response. And he said unto him, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today 
shalt thou be with me in paradise. Simple request, simple response, and that's to guide our thinking as we take this time to meditate now on it. So the scenes that are happening at the cross, and again, these palms, are not like Samson, but these palms are really to get us into this, the drama of it all, the drama of it all. Today's the day he marches into Jerusalem, and they proclaim him, Hosanna. And it's really an introduction as he's leading up to Good Friday, leading up to the crucifixion. But the scenes at the actual cross are shocking. They're shocking. The rulers of the people in verse 35, they're mocking him. They're challenging him to save himself. Just prove that you're the Messiah, the chosen of God. In verse 35, the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. They were saying, just prove that you're the Messiah. Then we see the soldiers. The soldiers, they were taking their turn in verses 36 and 37 to mock the Lord Jesus on the cross, to challenge him to save himself. This time, prove that you're the king. Prove that you're the king of the Jews. In verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Then we see there was this obstinate thief, and he was mocking the Lord Jesus on the cross, challenging him to save himself and to save them and to prove that he's the Messiah in verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And so all this constitutes the backdrop for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This backdrop shows the gross sinfulness of man. To be to crucify the Lord Jesus was the greatest of all crimes. But now you add to this the shame of crucifying him with all this mocking, all this challenging, and then to put him between two thieves. He's sinless. He's the holy son of God, and he's between two thieves. It shows, really shows the sinfulness of man. This shows great sinfulness. It shows a corruption in the human heart. You know, it's so easy for us just to look at this and to read this and say, oh, boy, these people were just really evil people, but not me. You know, it's so easy for us to say, oh, those evil people, they did that. But I, if I was there, I'd have nothing to do with it. I wouldn't be there. That's not true. That's not true. The truth is, is that you and I were like standing there to those who crucified him. You say, why can you say that? Because of Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep, every single one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We, every single one of us, have turned astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what happened there at Calvary was the outward expression of what's in the evil nature of all men. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus is the outward expression of our evil natures. And Horatius Bonar, he put it so well in his hymn. He wrote a hymn in which he entitled it, I See the Crowd in Pilate's Hall. And one of the stanzas, he says like this, I see the crowd in Pilate's Hall. Their furious cries I hear. Their shouts of crucify appall. Their curses fill mine ear. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. 
I see the scourgers rend the flesh of God's beloved son, and as they smite, I feel afresh, I of them am one. Around the cross, the throng I see that mock the sufferers groan, and still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Twas I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Yet not the less the blood avails to cleanse me from sin, and not the less the cross prevails to give me peace within. See, just like the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, where it says, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. What happened at Calvary was the outward expression of us was the outward expression of our evil natures. And so what is seen there at the cross is the sinfulness of man, us included. But what happened to that repenting thief is the wonderful grace of God. I mean, have you ever thought, have you ever ever taken time just to think, say, why did God permit his son to be crucified between two thieves? Why did he allow that? I mean, it didn't catch God by surprise you know, that it happened. I mean, it was foretold 700 years before by the prophet Isaiah when he said in Isaiah 53, 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he'll divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. He said, and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It was foretold. God foretold it. He said he's going to be numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. I mean, it's just like he could do numbering. Say, one, two, three. A thief, the Lord Jesus, a thief. I mean, why did God allow his son to be crucified among thieves? Because of what it says in Isaiah 53, 12. He made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. It was when he was on the cross, numbered with the transgressors as the number two cross, on that lineup of three crosses on that hill that he made intercession for the transgressors as he prayed, and we read in verse 34, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it was when he was on that cross, numbered with the transgressors as the number two cross, on that hill that he made intercession for the, for the transgressors when he told the repentant thief, Jesus said to him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. When the Lord Jesus is on the cross, he's surrounded by the sinfulness, the worst sinfulness of man. And that's when he decided to show the greatest grace in the, in the worst situation, in the worst of the sinfulness of man, the worst sinfulness of man only made the grace of God in saving this thief all the more magnified. And at the cross, where the worst sinfulness of man was seen, the grace of God was the greatest magnification there as that thief was saved. See, this is, this is where the Bible is so wonderful. The Bible is so wonderful because it's few words, but so profound. It's so it's the simple statements, and yet the simple statements are so profound. Like when it says in verse thirty-two, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. See, just that simple statement. There were also two others led with him to be put to death. 
I mean, one of the thieves, one of the thieves, and we can call him the, the respondent thief or the penitent thief, and the other, and he follows him, and the other doesn't follow him. We can call him the non-responding thief or the obstinate thief. And those are the two that were led with him to be put to death. There was the penitent, the responding thief, and there was the obstinate, the non-responding thief. And those two men, those two men represent all humanity. Every person falls into the category of those two thieves. Those two men represent you and me and everyone in the world today. There are two words that describe the difference between these two thieves. And you could use the word one thief who responded, he became the other thief who didn't respond, he remained. Those are the two words, became or remained. Those, two th- those are the two thieves. Both of them were under condemnation. Both of them deserved judgment. It was not that one of those two men was not a thief. They both were. Those men represent everyone today because Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every, you, me, everyone is a sinner. And in that sense, we're all as guilty as those thieves. But one of those thieves became penitent and the other remained obstinate. One was saved, one was lost. Both thieves had the opportunity to become saved. There was nothing that kept one thief from being saved. Both of them had the opportunity to be saved, just as everyone has the opportunity to be saved. And not just the opportunity to be saved, but the encouragement from God to be saved. It's not like God, it's not like God hangs out and says, anybody wants, just come. But more than that, in 1 Timothy 2.4, it says that God who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, there's both the will of God for all men to be saved, and there's the unwillingness of God for any man to perish. And as the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, there was in him, though his will for both thieves to be saved, there was in him an unwillingness for either thief to perish. And the fact that both the thieves have the same opportunity to be saved shows us no one should ever despair in life of not being able to be saved. Despair is a terrible thing. It's horrible. Despair without hope. I mean, hope is it's so important to us. Hope is what keeps us going when times are really hard. Hope is the fuel that makes us endure. Hope, hope hangs on to life. Hope clings to life. Hope, hope is the post that we grab a hold of when the waves of disappointment and the waves of discouragement and the waves of frustration just crash over our heads. Hope is the voice against suicide. Despair is the absence of all hope. And the fact that God is willing for all men to be saved and not willing that any should perish, it shows that no one should ever despair of not being able to be saved. Those thieves represent all mankind. 
which again shows no one should ever despair of not being able to be saved. Both thieves have the same opportunity to be saved, to show us that no one should ever despair because everyone has the opportunity to be saved. But even though no one should despair, no one should ever presume that he's going to be saved because he's been close to where the Lord Jesus was. No one should ever presume he's born into a Christian home, parents were Christians, went to a Christian church, and so forth. No, only one thief was saved, which shows without calling on the name of the Lord Jesus as God and Savior, no one is saved. Can't help but read this passage here about the two thieves without thinking of Pastor John Berger. How many remember John? Oh, all of you do. Then you, I can't shake my head with those jowls. <laughs> but he is, this was his favorite passage. When he worked as a chaplain on the second floor of the East Tower at Grossmont Hospital, the cancer floor, this was his passage. And John would enter into the room of a cancer patient, and he would read the passage to the cancer patient, and he would explain how every person in humanity is either one of the two thieves, and, and then he, he would explain the, the, this thief repented, and this thief was obstinate, this thief remained, this thief became, and, and then he would ask the cancer patient, which one are you? Yeah, And um, I'm not so sure you can do that today. But anyway, he did it while he had the opportunity. And when John went to be with the Lord at his memorial service, how many went to his memorial service? Okay, well, I was at his memorial service. I told how he loved these two passages at Grossmont Hospital and how I could just imagine that when John got to heaven and met the thief that repented, how John would say, hey, I talked a lot about you at Grossmont Hospital. <laughs> but the obstinate thief, he remained because he chose to remain obstinate. And the obstinate thief, he chose to sleep in his sins. And then he added to his sins, blaspheming the Lord Jesus, and he died lost. But the penitent thief, he chose to repent. And he renounced his sins, and he begged for mercy. Both thieves chose their course that resulted in their eternal destiny of either heaven or hell. That's the challenge of this passage. Now, in verse 39, we hear this obstinate thief blaspheming against the Lord Jesus. And the first word, that's 39. Then we come to the next verse, verse 30. The first word resets our focus with the word but, but the other. With those words, but the other, it's as if the scripture has said, okay, we've had about enough of the obstinate thief. And so now we're gonna change our focus to the repenting thief. So we see in verses 40 and 41, there's this break as he rebukes them. It says, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, we receive the due reward of our deeds. This man doesn't make a miss. So when he said that, he was making a complete break. Just like the four boys were standing up here and saying, I have decided. This thief was saying, I have decided when he said that to break with the obstinate thief. That was the critical point in his repentance. He felt he had to do that, and he did. The exact words of this dialogue between this repenting thief and the Lord Jesus, they've been carefully preserved for us in the scriptures so that we can see what does a prayer look like of all men and women who come to the Lord Jesus as sinners and are saved. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.